Welcome to Grounded in the Word. Here in this podcast, our concern is all about the foundation or the soil of our hearts. The state of the soil or the state of our hearts, the foundation that we build upon determines everything. Just as it is with the building, if the foundation is not right, then the rest of the building will follow in suit. It will not be right. It will be unsafe, unsteady. Or if the soil that a seed is planted in is not good or pure soil, then what is grown, what is birthed from that seed will not be good, will not be pure. So we need to make sure that our foundation and our soil is good and right and pure. And that's all that we are concerned about here is just making sure that what we are planting in, the seed that we are receiving, making sure that it's going into good soil and making sure that which we are building up is built on a good foundation. I pray that you join us in this endeavor to ensure that that foundation and ensure that that soil is good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Thankful for each and every one of you tuning in to this episode here. Uh, We are excited to be back after a brief intermission of uh, last week. Um, Schedules aren't always perfect, so... We just allow for what we are able to do, but we are excited to be back. Uh, Today, continuing our discussion of what has been titled The Foundation. Um, Obviously, we've been spending some time on this, um, but that's okay because as as we've talked about previously, the, the foundation is absolutely essential. Uh, because without a proper foundation, everything that's built upon it risks crashing down. The, the foundation is, is crucial not just to have one, but to make sure it's right. Uh, if you are familiar at all with, with construction, which obviously I'm not extremely so, but I have a rudimentary um, familiarity with it, and there will be times where a house will be inspected and they'll inspect the foundation and there'll be cracks in the foundation because while it was there, it was not done properly. And so now the entire house is, is at risk because now the foundation is, is breaking. Um, so it's not just a matter of saying you have a foundation, but making sure it's done right and established correctly. And so while we've been taking time on this initial series of the foundation, it's truly absolutely critical that we do so uh, for our sake, for your sake, for everybody who might listen to this in, in the far off future. Um, I'll make it plain, say it loud and clear. You have to have a good foundation. Pastor Fisher in a previous episode um, referenced the parable by Jesus of the two men who built their houses and one built upon the rock and the other one built upon sand and a storm came and you know within that parable is the truth of that is the truth that storms will hit every single one of us it doesn't matter if you live the perfect picturesque christian life 
it's not going to keep you from the storm. The storm will come. So when it does come, what's going to happen to you? Well, that's dependent upon the foundation you build. Uh, and so that's what we're endeavoring to do with this initial series is lay that solid foundation and just making, making sure that what we're all standing on is firm ground. Um, and, and within that truth, a plethora of times throughout Scripture, Jesus is referenced as the rock. It's time and time again through the Old and New Testament. Um, and so him being understood as the rock creates an implication that he is the foundation upon which we stand. So with all the discussion that we're having, we endeavor to point it ultimately back to Jesus and, and our relationship with him and to him. Um, and that, that, that's absolutely critical because it's not just about going through and discussing Bible stories. It's about painting the picture of how Christ is the center of all things and he's the thing upon which we stand. So today we're going to jump into Genesis 2. Last episode we pretty well rounded off Genesis chapter uh, one in relation to the verses that we were actually discussing. Today we're going to get more so into Genesis chapter two. Um, we're going to see how far we get um, without rabbit trailing. Um, so starting with Genesis two seven, uh, I'll read it here from the NASB. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being, or the living soul, as the King James Version words that. Um, so, Pastor Fisher, if you don't mind, just getting us started on our, on our dive into this, this verse here. Um, as we mentioned in previous episodes, the, we talked about the atmosphere, um, and part of a good foundation is creating that atmosphere conducive for creation, for creative um, abilities to move, for creative uh, power, um, for just the majesty of God to work uninhibited. Um, and that's what we miss a lot by not doing and getting a good foundation. Um, here we find that God prepared the atmosphere um, and once the atmosphere was ready, his uh, intent of forming man um, in verse 7, uh, where he formed man out of the dust of the ground, the atmosphere, the foundation, everything was, was formed. And now he's pulling it together um, and creating something that was going to be a living soul. Um, and we talked about the pneuma, the breath of life, the breathing into the nostrils, the same as translated into Acts chapter 2, the rushing mighty wind, that spirit that moves, the spirit of God that that created. So God did not intend to form man to live on his own. He informed, intended to form his creation that he could dwell in. Mm -hmm. So it here we get that image um, of God inhabiting for the very first time, inhabiting his creation. Mm -hmm. um, and we find that lived out more in, in the 
New Testament, obviously, where it goes into um, the new birth and being baptized by the gift of the Holy Ghost and, and having God live in you and you abide in Him and He abides in you. And that communion, that fellowship, that dwelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but here is the first place that we see uh, that the Spirit of God is inhabiting man himself. Um, it's very interesting. And I think that I think that it's a good opportunity to take take advantage of this good opportunity we have here and this uh, discuss the I guess what we could call the original created state of man mm-hmm. uh, because who we are today is not necessarily who God initially created us to be. Um, Even for those of us who are filled with his spirit, it's still, while it it is more in alignment with his original creation, it is still not that same. There's, there's, there's still not quite right lined up there. Right. Um, So I, I think that it'd be beneficial to kind of, dive into that because so what just a brief uh overview of this scripture here what we see is first god formed the flesh of man formed man from the dust of the ground Mm -hmm. formed his body formed you know the the organs and and the flesh and the bones and all of that but man having been formed in the flesh did not become a living being. It, it was only after the, the breath of life or the spirit of life was breathed into that created flesh that man then became a living being or a living soul. And so I, you know, this tells us a lot as to who God created us to be. Not just, you know, so often... And this is where we get hung up a lot. So often we we identify with the flesh. We, you know, to to a degree we should because we are our flesh still. It's not that we're not our flesh, but we I should say we over identify with our flesh. We right. we we view our flesh as the totality of who we are. Um, when we seek to, when people, when people are meeting us for the first time and they want to know things about us, what do we do? We talk about things in relation to our flesh. Mm-hmm. That's how we know ourselves because that's what we're immediately familiar with. Um, but this scripture right here makes it plain that that's not necessarily who God created us to be. While yes, we were created in the flesh, our living being came when spirit met flesh. Um, And so that indicates to us that there is something more that there is meant to be within us that truly defines who we are. If you didn't know if you had anything. But it was when you're going down that, um, that avenue talking about creating the flesh first, um, it brought to mind Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. Mm. Um, and as he began, uh, I believe it's 
chapter 37, verse number 6. He said, I will lay sinews, sinews upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel then prophesied and he, as he was commanded, he prophesied and, and there was a noise and behold a shaking and the bones came together bone to his bone and when I beheld lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them above but there was no breath in them. Mm -hmm. So even throughout this miraculous prophetic moment there was still limited to just flesh yeah and then there was no breath that came to him and then he said unto me prophesy unto the wind so there was not just a i, I don't believe that there was i believe there's a separation here mm -hmm. that there was creating the flesh and then he didn't want to didn't want to give he wanted to separate it for a moment that there was emphasis yeah. on the power that was about to happen. Yeah. That what I just did might have seemed great to any doctor with a PhD or MD in, in the world right now. It's mirac completely miraculous. However, that's not enough. The, the circulatory system, the respiratory system, the musculatory system, everything was put together right in front of Ezekiel's face. But... There was not breath. There was not a spirit in there. Right. So it just basically were just was just as as good as the bones being separated and everything right. being on the ground. Right. So he put emphasis there on the spirit coming into them. Said prophesy unto the wind um, and say the wind uh, coming from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they they shall live. And he prophesied, and there came breath into them, and they, and they lived because they're the spirit. Uh, moved in there so talking about the emphasis there on creation um, God puts more emphasis obviously on the spirit because mm -hmm. the flesh is a mere conduit the flesh is a mere habitation mm -hmm. for the spirit mm -hmm. um, if we were all spirit right now we would be in heaven right we mm -hmm. would be in, in the heavenly realm mm -hmm. um, with the angels and with the Lord and with the heavenly host but we're not Right. We have a, a habitation for that that dwells in the atmosphere that God created. So being that it's keeping your eye on the emphasis of what's important in that would be the spirit. Yeah. Not the, the lust of the flesh or the desire of the flesh, but the desire of the spirit. Uh, you know, I think there is another very interesting truth that we need to take from this that um, can really be easily overlooked because again and I, I've said this before maybe on this podcast maybe not I don't know but I've said it before in many different venues uh, of teaching in various classes or on Wednesday nights or whatever um, that's that's the truth that oftentimes we approach the Bible through the preconceived or even biased lenses of our current state. Mm -hmm. um, we read it from where we're at, not necessarily what the text is declaring independently. Um, or we could word it another way and say that we put ourselves into the text with mm -hmm. where we're at right now. Um, and so where we're at right now 
is because of sin, which we're going to get into here, if not today, in the near near future episode, is that because of sin there became a divide between flesh and spirit. But this was pre-sin, therefore it was pre-divide. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we think of flesh and spirit, we think of those as two very separate entities because that's how we know it today. That's, you know, in our minds and our understanding and our experience today, the flesh and spirit have little to no interaction with one another. It's either you're experiencing the flesh or you're experiencing the spirit. And there's a very clear distinction between those things. Um, but again, that's because of sin. Mm-hmm. Because sin has tainted the flesh and God cannot abide where there is sin because he is perfect, he is righteous, he is holy, um, so on and so forth. So this was pre-taint, this was pre-divide, this was pre-division. Therefore, there was no distinct separation of flesh and spirit like we know it today. So when God created the flesh and then breathed into man the breath of life there was a unity in that creation and that's and you know we probably you know because again we don't know necessarily what that looks like and so we struggle to understand what that might have been but there was there was such a there were adam and eve were created with such a wholeness not just a wholeness in flesh, not just a wholeness in spirit, but a wholeness of being. Right. And that's why the text says they became a living being. Everything about them was united. There was no division within them. They were just, they were flesh and spirit perfectly united in one being. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is, that's a really important point to understand because that was the original created state. Uh, and, and so that's what God desires to bring us back to. Um, not necessarily saying that the um, in this life at least the you know the flesh and spirit can be united like that. But again, you know Paul talks about um, and uh, John talks about in the book of Revelation about the, the during the rapture about how we were be caught up into the air with him. And we will receive our glorified bodies. In my mind, that's a return to this originally created state of that flesh and spirit being united in that perfect unity once again, in that originally created state. Because because we have that where we still have those bodies, but no longer have the taint. So now it's able to to abide in perfect unity as he so desired it to be. Yeah. Well, if if you think about Jesus, yeah, being born, yeah, coming, um, he was re. Not that I'm not trying to start any any strange doctrine here. Yeah. Um, not that Adam and Eve were anywhere close to God. Oh right, yeah, no, no. But no. to your point, what you're saying, you could say that when Jesus came and was born, the closest unifying of spirit and flesh and what 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 i mean by unifying of spirit and flesh is the flesh submitting to the spirit Mm -hmm. spirit Mm -hmm. having dominion right yeah because adam and eve in the garden 
the biggest difference there was Adam had a dominion, obviously over the animals, fowl of the air, the, the fish of the sea, um, the weather. I mean, he just he had dominion given to him. So it was an immediate state with that unity of flesh and spirit that what we have tried and will will try and continue to try till the day that we take our last breath is we try to submit the flesh mm-hmm. to the spirit right yes. and walk in the spirit not walk after the spirit not after the flesh right but it is a daily thing that Absolutely. with we obviously aren't waking up in a in a garden i being I'm more of an, an outdoors um, enthusiast, um, it, it would it would bring great joy to me to wake up and just have a lion or a rhinoceros or a giraffe or whatever animals at that time, um, whatever animals were around to wake up and just. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go name the herd on the southeast sector right. over there, yeah. and I'm gonna go and interact and and just to be carefree and and interact with creation yeah. and not be encumbered with the, the stresses of life and yeah. and all the the pulls this way and that way and the pressure uh, inward and outward. So the the struggle that we wake up with every day was not known here. Right. Yeah. So that. Every day we have to submit the flesh to the spirit. Right. So what we are trying to attain, they were in a sense born with. Correct. They were in that state. Right. And progressed. It's kind of like starting a, a video game, and all of a sudden your uh, experience level and whatever you're on level two hundred. Right. Yeah. That'd be fantastic because you have all the amenities in the game and all, but yeah. no, you got to start at level one. Right. And you got to work your way up, and depending on how much work you put into it, yeah, will determine that. So how much prayer, how much fasting, how much right. digesting the Word of God yeah. will dictate how much your spirit rises above the flesh, right? And the longevity and endurance of you doing that is going to dictate how this, how long the spirit stays over, because the spirit will not rise above the flesh and stay there, right? The spirit will be subject to your your commitment and your yeah. faithfulness, and if your faithfulness dwindles, then the spirit will dwindle and the flesh will rise up naturally. Yeah, because that's the embodiment that we live in. Yeah. So, um, but Jesus coming and being born on earth, to your point, returned to that embodiment yeah. right there where it was unification, right. not just of soul, not just of flesh and spirit, but the dominion of right. spirit over the flesh. Absolutely. And, you know, continuing with that point, and there's another kind of vein I want to jump down, but continuing with that point of, you know, Jesus being that return to that originally created state, we could say is, you know, that did not come just because that's how he was born. Because, you know, like you said, submitting the flesh to the spirit, there are four points at least four points, four obvious points, we could say, of Jesus submitting himself throughout his life, his flesh submitting to the Spirit. The baptism, which was not Mm -hmm. a baptism of repentance, it was a baptism of submission. Um, The wilderness, um, 40 days of prayer and fasting, uh, resisting of the the, 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 the temptation. 
um, the Garden mm-hmm. of Gethsemane, submitting his flesh once again through prayer, uh, and then the cross. Mm-hmm. And you could probably break that down even further. There are probably other examples throughout his ministry, but those are four distinct, obvious points yeah. throughout Jesus' ministry where he had to, the, in his flesh, submit to the Spirit. So it was not just because Jesus was born of the Father. That's, it wasn't that. Right. It was, yes, being born of the Father, but also daily, as Paul said, living sacrifice. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think, it, I know it for a fact, at least the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Luke say this, but the others might as well, that the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus went to on his famous last night before his, his death was a place he went to often. Mm-hmm. It was not a one-time event. It was meaning he, and, and you could really get into that a whole lot because Garden of Gethsemane was an olive press. Mm-hmm. So it was literally a place of pressing, a place of crushing. So Jesus continually went to the place of crushing Mm-hmm. all throughout his life, continually went and submitted and humbled himself. And that's why there was that, that flesh submitted to spirit, because right. there was intentionality behind it. Right. It wasn't um, just going through the, the, the humdrums and the, the, the routines of life that right. got him to that point. It was intentional. It was genuine. It was purposeful. Right. There, 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 were, there was a passion behind it. Um, there was a truthfulness behind it. Um, and, and from that point, I want to kind of make an interesting or pose an interesting thought. Uh, because relations, genuine relationship requires intentionality. Mm-hmm. Genuine relationship requires um, purposefulness. Pur- pur- purpose, purpose-driven pursuit. Um, passion, hunger, desire, um, without truthful genuineness, there is no relationship. Right. Um, there's only facade. Um, so interesting idea that, you know, you can share your thoughts on, but could we not, could we not have the thought that even though today we have the divide because of sin, could it not be theorized that we are able to walk in a more intimate relationship with God than Adam and Eve were, even though there was no sin in them? Because to their end, there didn't necessarily have to be that intentionality. I don't know if I would remove the intentionality from Adam and Eve. So let's let's say you talk about Garden of Gethsemane, yeah, a place of um, familiarity to Jesus. He went there yeah. often and prayed. Yeah, um, that could be said. Why the disciples fell asleep? Because they're so familiar. Because they were so familiar. It was right. just another prayer meeting. It was just another, and he felt the urgency of the time. Mm-hmm. And that's why he came. And whether maybe they fell asleep times before going with him and he didn't go and, and ask them, right. could you not watch with me for this right. hour? I mean, could you right. not stay awake and pray? So it's not recorded, but 
right. could do. He felt the urgency at the time. So the familiarity of suppressing the flesh, getting this, the, the flesh subject to the spirit. Mm -hmm. Could it be said that Adam and Eve in the cool of the day when they walked with mm -hmm. God and God talked to them, could that not have been the intentionalness of staying close to their creator? Right. Now, God designed it. God orchestrated it, possibly. And, and we know from the the moment that they sinned that God still showed still, up. Still saw that, yeah. Still, it was, it was as much part of his routine as it was theirs. Right. So the intentionality, I guess, could be said that they did that and I'm I know we're gonna get into uh, Genesis chapter three here in a little bit, but um it's interesting her Eve's interaction with the serpent, um, because they knew the truths and right. the serpent did not did not tell her anything until he got her to repeat what what she knew was already true. Right. So they were not they were still living intentionally and sin came because the serpent got her to question a detail. Yeah. So when you question a detail, it's usually, it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. Right. So it's the, the littlest thing was the inroad yeah. to break the intentionalness. And so there would have always been that you're in flesh, but everybody's interaction is different. Um, to the point that, um, I don't know, maybe, and I'm not saying it is, but maybe somebody in a remote village that, um, and from my perspective, there's some people that probably have little to nothing like we have that are happier, more joyful. Right. And because they appreciate what they've got, right. they... Yeah walk five miles to, to church services. They worship for four or five hours straight, um, maybe eight or 10 hours. I mean, just their interaction with God is on a completely different level. Yeah. Um, but to your point of, do we have, do we attain to a more intimate level than they, than they have? I think there's different, different levels that we can get to because the greater the oppression the greater the victory. Right, yeah. So it, it all is a matter of perspective that, um, not that it really should be, I guess, because if God delivers you from a headache, mm -hmm. uh, you should praise him just as much as he Absolutely. delivers you from cancer. Absolutely, yeah. Because, I mean, for all you know, that headache could have been the start of a tumor, could have been an aneurysm, it could could just been a migraine, a small migraine, you don't, you don't know, but I mean, you you right. knew that there's an urgency enough that you asked for help. Right. So, and it doesn't matter how it affects other people if yeah. it affected you. Yeah. Enough to be debilitating. Right. Um, but at the same point, if you've been healed multiple times or blessed multiple times, um, and just that interaction should warrant a greater a greater life of mm -hmm. um, of thankfulness. Absolutely. And the more you dive into that, the more fruit it produces in your life. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's, obviously, intentionality is a big portion of it. But also, something you just said there, I think, is another big key, is um, 
the thankfulness or gratefulness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Peter says um, that we have something that the angels desire to look into because we've experienced something that they will never experience. Um, and so they, they, there's such a hunger and a desire within them to know what we have, but they'll never know it. Right. But that begs the question is, do we appreciate it like we should? Because if, because, and we quote this and we reference this all the time, this, this idea, this, this truth that the angels desire to look into what we have, if, well, just think about that for a minute, because angels are abiding in the heavenly with him. Mm-hmm. They're constantly around his throne, constantly in his presence. And so on our end, we might look at that and be like, I want to have what you have, because right. they're constantly with him. You right. know, not to, to us, that's like, I want that. But they're looking at us saying, I want that. And so, so we could ask the question and we could go down the rabbit trail. If, you know, we view angelic beings so highly and that author of Hebrew dives into this when comparing um, Jesus to the angelic beings and then ends chapter one by saying, um, that they're now servants of us. Yeah. Um, and so we have such a high view of angelic beings and we, we, we fantasize even about the realm that they exist in. But we have something greater. But do we recognize that we have something greater? Because sometimes I don't know if we do because we don't necessarily always act like it. Right. Because at least from my observation and even from my own personal experience, because I'm by no means perfect. Do I don't know if we always appreciate what we have for what, for what we have. I don't know if we, you know, I don't know if we truly understand what we have. Right. To your point of us looking at the, the angelic hosts and, desiring to be like them as opposed to them desiring to be like us um, or appear into what mm-hmm. we're doing, interacting. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a, they want to swap places with us. Right. I think there's, um, we look at self-will, the the power of choice. Yeah. We look at it as a detriment mm-hmm. because, um, and I've said it before that sometimes the the enemy, the devil doesn't just take things away from you. He doesn't come in like the thief in the night. Sometimes he does, but sometimes he doesn't come in and steal opportunities from you. He puts another option on the table. Mm. So the struggle of finding the will of God and the, the earnestness that you need to have, um, it becomes harder when you have two, three, four, five options. Right. To choose after if it was just one option clear plain as day easy. it would be easy right um but that's where you need to know the voice where yes. as sheep of his pasture we right. need to know the shepherd's voice yeah um but it's the um the intentionalness of our faithfulness to him 
Um, the power of choice, I heard a preacher put it this way, God gave us the privilege of self-will. Yeah. So I think it, it has some, not all, to do with when they peer in, there is a power behind somebody that chooses to do something. Right. And that's, as a minister, when you, when you minister to the people, you, you try to get them to, to not cast away all, all their cares, get them to realize what they're going after. Mm-hmm. And what they're going after is greater than what they've got or what they've been through. Mm-hmm. So when you get them to make up that, that choice, you've got that Rocky Balboa that, that rises up in the middle of the fight and decides that, that I can win this thing. Mm-hmm. You get that, that person that was counted out uh, that could never go to college, never never get a good career. They they heard the negativity one too many times, right. and they made up in their mind that I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna sacrifice. I'm gonna get there. Um, you get the woman with the issue of blood, twelve long years suffered with something, but she finally said within herself. The Bible says, so there was finally a word mm-hmm. that got through to her. Mm-hmm. May have been a word that she said, right, and not a word that your pastor said or right. your your coworker said, but it was a word that got through to her yeah. and made her realize that I can do this. Right. I can I can push myself to get through that crowd. I can touch even the hem of his garment. Made up in her mind, um, and the Bible talks to us about there's healing in his wings, yeah, the in the, in the skirts, the borders of his garment, but could it be that also that because she made up in her mind, if I could just but touch the hem, could it be that her faith reached out and her faith established where the healing was going to happen? Mm. That her faith said that if I could just touch, I have enough confidence in him that there is power all around him. And if I can just touch that and there was, that's when power. I'm all. I'm not discrediting the prophetic word in the Old Testament talking about right. healing in the wings. Right. But I think our faith. We our we we let faith. We let our faith or lack thereof set the limits. Absolutely. On what we receive. Definitely. So again, being intentional matters. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I was going to say something, and I. You're a complete blank. <laughs> That's okay. Um, you know, and we we talked about faith in the last episode and about how faith is the foundation. You know, mm-hmm. faith is the foundation upon which we stand. Um, and I think that it's an I think it's an, an important point that um, you. Any of this goes back to the power of choice. Mm-hmm. the privilege of choice, you are able to determine what you put your faith in. Yeah. Um, the, there's no, there's no rule, if we want to call it that, in scripture that says we have, to, like faith is only placed in God. Yeah. There's no, it's not that, you know, we can only have faith if it's in him and nothing else. I don't know. You can have faith in a lot of things. In a lot of things. Yeah. And, and again, I think, so, I, you know, I asked the question, um, 
or maybe not so ask, not not necessarily ask the question, but kind of made the implication that I don't know how much we truly understand what we have. Well, is could that be pointed back to maybe our faith isn't totally in what we have? Because, you know, faith is more than just belief. Yeah. Faith is a, a decision. Faith mm-hmm. is obedience. Faith is, uh, you know, James said, faith without works is dead. Right. Um, so if we don't, if we aren't, because again, Okay, let's just go down that for a minute. Faith without works is dead. That means that there is an outward evidence of faith. Mm-hmm. So if just based off of observation and experience, it's not seeming like we are truly comprehending what we have, that, that means we are acting like we understand what we have. And if we're not acting like we're understanding, or we understand what we have, then do we truly have faith in what we have? Because it's not just, you don't necessarily need to have complete and total understanding of a thing. The Bible never understands that you'll receive salvation when you have understanding. No. That's not biblical. No. Um, So it's not that we have to have understanding of it. You know, obviously, a rudimentary level of understanding is, you know, that's that's important. It's important. Um, But... um, If deep understanding was needed, very few people would obtain salvation. Exactly. But... Do we truly have faith in what we in what we have, or do we? I don't know necessarily what I'm trying to ask, but I don't know that I just feel something in my spirit that there there's a lacking there that there there is so much more that he has for us, right? But we don't actually possess. No, not at because all. of faith, and and that again goes back to the we don't understand necessarily what all we have. We you know we we go to we go to church and we do church mm-hmm. and, and and we we do the Christian thing, mm-hmm. but is there truly faith behind what we're doing? Because if there's faith behind what we're doing, that means there's there's a there's a power behind what we're doing. Right. And so is there a power present in what we do? Right. It faith is described in a lot of different ways. Faith is a noun, it's a verb, right. it's yeah. an adjective, it's yeah. it's a faith is a place, uh, faith is an action. Um, faith when you break it down, um, and you could break this down seven ways to Sunday, um, depending on what how you study it out. But Hebrews eleven one talks about faith as a substance of things mm-hmm. hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Um, my mind escapes me right now. The words that are, I believe it's um, evidence and um, uh, hope and evidence. I believe when you break those words down. Um, one is is truly believing the having a belief in something, um, and the other one is the uh, ability to trust or the willingness to trust. Mm-hmm. Um, more more so too, not a um, not a blind trust, right? But it's a open 
open vision, fleeing for refuge. So when you trust in something, so so basically you could break in uh, one of my studies on, on faith, you could break faith down into, uh, there's two pillars that hold up our faith. Belief, which is the adoption of a truth. You have to adopt that truth as your own. You can't, you can't just say you believe this because your grandma believed it or right. your pastor believes it. Right. Or you can't believe it because it's repeated all the time. You have to get to a point where you adopt that truth. Once you adopt that truth, then you have the other pillar that holds faith up, and that's trust. Mm. That is complete and utter assurance that that belief is true. So you're not only adopting something, but there is no way that you believe it's not true. Right. So I think where we struggle is trust. Mm. Because the American culture um, as a whole... We're trusting in ourselves. We're we're throughout history. I won't say American culture. I'll just say human, humankind, okay. flesh. Yeah. We hold to ourselves. Yeah. And we trust in what we can produce and what we can do. Yeah. And so there's very few things that we truly, I think, extend our faith out to. Yeah. Um, but it's knowing because we we interpret trust differently. Trusting God is understanding that there is a tower of salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's promises, there's destiny, there's purpose, and it's right in front of you. But, um, and I did this illustration at church um, uh, before, but instead of a blind, blind trust fall, turning backwards, you can't see what's going to catch you. We serve a righteous God. Right. We serve a, a merciful God. You can do that, and you can know that he's going to catch you. Mm-hmm. But let's go back to the spirit and being submitted to the flesh or flesh being submitted to the spirit. Let's go back to that struggle. Yeah. You catch me on the wrong day, and I may, not, I may not fall off that ledge blindly because I don't believe that he will be. Doubt will override. Fear will override. So what... What trusting God is not left up to how we feel. Right, yeah. Trusting God is left up to knowing who he is. Yeah. So when you understand that trust is fleeing for refuge, the only thing that is the variable there is you knowing what direction to run. Mm. So once you understand that what's what the world and the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the desires are on one side and God's on the other... Now you know what direction to run. Don't run blindfolded. Don't run by happenstance. Run to him and fall into his arms. That's trust. Yeah. When when my child, my children, when they were younger, now they're getting older and they don't rely on their parents that much anymore. But when they're younger, fall off their bike, skin their knee, their world crashes around. Right. A small child, when they get to that point, What's the first thing that you'll see them do? Run to the parents. You'll see them run to a parent, grandma, grandpa, right. Sunday school teacher, an adult, somebody that they trust. Mm-hmm. Because they know that something bad happened here, mm-hmm. and I could run to them, and they're going to hold me, and they're going to fix the problem. Right. It's as simplistic as that. Yeah. That's The gospel's simplified in those two things. Absolutely. Adopting the truth 
and having the full assurance of the truth. And I think where we fail is trust. Yeah. And having that trust pro- progresses you into that journey called faith. Yeah. Um, in, a, in an earlier episode, I think it was either part two or part three of this series, um, I, I, I made this statement that, you know, God created things, every, God created everything, everything so simplistically. Mm-hmm. And how the further away man has gotten from the garden, the more complex we've become. Um, and, you know, talking about faith and belief and trust. Um, the uh, a thought came to my mind because doing a, a study right now for, for a project, um, but studying out the miraculous. Um, and whenever I write, I always kind of, I write through the lens of if I'm actually having a discussion with the person I'm reading or with the person that, who, who is reading what I've written. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ask the questions in my head before they're ever asked of me and I endeavor to answer them. Um, that's just how I write, I guess. I don't know. I'm weird. It's <laughs> um, a good perspective. Um, but as I'm doing this study on the miraculous, I ask myself in my head through this own hypothetical discussion, why don't we see the miraculous like they did in the days of old? You know, Moses and the people of Israel saw an entire sea part right. and cross on dry ground. And that was not the only time. It happened with the Jordan as well. Right. A lesser known event of the same thing right. happening. Um, you know, fire falling from heaven and consuming a mountain. Right. Um, the glory cloud resting above the temple. Like, and these are, those are just a couple of things. Like, there are a plethora, not just in the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well. Not just right. with Jesus' ministry, but the shadow of Peter just running, like, brushing uh, over people mm-hmm. and then being healed. And, you know, why don't why don't we see that anymore? And you know, everybody wants to blame God. You know, oh God doesn't work like that anymore. Oh God doesn't move like that anymore. He's the same yesterday, today, right. and forever. He said in Malachi, "I, the Lord, I do not change." And because right. I don't change, you're not consumed. Right. Um, it's His steadfastness that keeps us. Um, and so it's not a fact that God changed. I think it points back to, again, the complexity of man. We And obviously I make this statement not because it's actually true, but because it's become the mentality of man. We have become so advanced and complex in human society that we, quote, quote, no longer need God. Mm. You know, what, <laughs> why would someone pray and ask for their headache to be healed when they can take an ibuprofen? Right. We no longer need God, quote unquote, again, because we have advanced far enough to where we can take care of ourselves. And even if we don't admit to it in our are unaware of it, we have 
usurped ourselves to a pedestal of a godlike status because we have replaced him with our own advancements. And so again, random segue, but tying that back into faith and belief and trust. Because what you have faith in, what you trust in, will be made evident by what you exalt, by what you, you know, uh, reach for. You know, in times of trouble, what is the first thing you reach for? Is it going to be the prayer cloth in your Bible? Or is it going to be the medicine bottle on the phone? Because the answer to that that question determines where your trust is. Right. And I'm not saying uh, this is not <laughs> this is not a right, thing no. against medicine. It's not a thing no, against doctors. But what do you value more? Where is right. your value system at? Um, and that's and in going back to the thing, my project here, the as I began to delve into that question, the, we don't see the miraculous like they did. In times past, not because of him, right. but because of us. Yeah. Because faith, as we talked about, you know, you can put your faith in a plethora of different things. Right. Jesus said, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, right. be moved and cast into the sea, and it must obey you. Right. Or say to the sycamine tree, be plucked up and cast mm-hmm. into the sea, and it, and it will happen. But that's only if your faith is in him. Right. But if, if your faith is in, if on the totem pole of faith, so to speak, he's number four. Right. If you say to that mountain, be picked up and cast to the sea, will it happen? Well, if he's number four, right. and you have three other options before you came to him, I, I obviously I'm not God. I'm not gonna say that it won't happen, but I don't I don't think you can make the statement that your faith is actually in him. Right. To your to what you said before, um about we don't depend um our dependency on God has gotten less. Yeah. Um that is I, I would agree with that. But let me also throw in that can we uh could we not use the word interaction with God? Mm. So our interaction with God is drastically different because yeah. I would not as a cop-out or an excuse. Um, I used to think that, well, God doesn't, um, doesn't move in those ways because we don't need him to move in those ways anymore. Um, because God can do anything that he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there was, it was like a crusade after crusade. And now, obviously, 21st century church or 21st century human mankind is drastically, looks drastically different than it did right. in biblical times. Um, and there was needs that could not be erected before that God. And the demonstration and the power of God, creative miracles and things are oftentimes more for the non-believer mm-hmm. to be converted than it is for the believer. Right. But not being an excuse for that, I've learned that it's not even just the dependency that we don't depend on him, 
But to your point about him being the fourth option, um, I believe we could say that we just don't interact with him to that level. Somebody that devotes their life in, in prayer, reading the word, digesting the word, understanding the word, you can't read it on the surface and really understand it. You have to dedicate right. time right. and effort. You got to right. build it. Go back to the word foundation. You got to build it. Yeah. Anything that you build is is requiring work and effort. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to come just because you speak it into existence. Right. There's some things that you have to go through the process. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm trying to get this thought out quickly. I know we're coming close on time. But when we talk about interaction with God, I think that's another thing that we we can't we can't depend on other things throughout the day, and then give God five minutes and say, "God, fix everything." Right. Yeah. Because our interaction with Him is okay. I'll fix five minutes worth of your day. Right. Because that's all I've been involved in. Yeah. And we wonder why we have so great problems, but we it's seemingly such a little God. Yeah. It's not a little God at all. It's we've we have allowed him to be in a little box yes. in our own life, and our interaction with him has been limited. The right. more you pour into it, and I challenge anybody listening to this this podcast, the ch- same as I'm challenging myself, the more that you dedicate to reading the word, digesting the word, prayer, fasting. The more you interact with God, you will begin to see God interact with you more. Absolutely. So I think the key is interaction. With yeah. interaction comes dependency. Absolutely. So we've lost dependency because we don't walk with Him in the cool of the day. We don't have that Adam and Eve experience. We don't have that continual communion and fellowship like we should. Yeah. I'm not even saying like we used to because some people listening may have never had that before. You right. need to create that. Right. But that takes schedule shifting, intentionality. You got to be intentional with your walk with God, and be intentional with your interaction with the King of Kings in order for that dependency to be created. Yeah, and you know, and taking the last two minutes here to make this very very quick point, um, a common uh, in olden in olden times uh, during the day, biblical days. The, especially the Old Testament and the New Testament as well, but um, the idea that, and I made this point in an earlier episode as well, the idea that God was someone who could be interacted with was foreign to the people right. outside of Judaism. Right. They were the only uh, group that believed, and obviously later Christians believed that, he was someone that could be interacted with, mm-hmm. um, that there could be a personal relationship there. Um, and, and if you study it out, much of Western culture and society is built from um, uh, Greek philosophy and, and, and very rooted and what the Greeks established and like their way of thinking and their methodologies and all that kind of right. stuff has that bled into us that mindset of you know he's not someone that can be interacted with so intimately and so personally because since our society and our culture is majorly birthed out of that Greek philosophy that did not believe that he could be interacted with how have we allowed that 
mindset to creep into our own walk with God? Because do we do we understand that He is an intimate God that desires to walk with us mm-hmm. in the cool of the day? That He, as First John says, He is love. Right. Um, do we understand the intimate nature, the intimate side of Him? That He's not just a transcendent God that can't be touched, can't be right. can't be moved by us, and, and can't meet us. Is there that level of understanding? Um, well, not, I, not just understanding, but appreciation. Right. Because you can understand something and not desire it, but right. we don't desire it, therefore we don't have it. Right. Well, with those questions, we will leave you all because our time is quickly drawing to a near. Um, pray that you have enjoyed this episode and that it, it will bear fruit in your life and that the things discussed and the questions asked will make an impact in your own walk and that you come to understand that he is an intimate God that desires to have that intimacy with you, Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining in with us today. We don't take it lightly. We don't take it for granted. We know that we all have busy lives and the the fact that you took time out of your day to join us and listen in with us, it It means so much to us. We pray that what was talked about today was a blessing to you and impacted you. It made made a difference in your life. And if it did, we would be so grateful and so appreciative if you shared this episode with someone you care about, a loved one, a family member, or a friend. It would mean the world to us. In Jesus' name, God bless.